Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the, what the hell is it, the eighth day of May 2023. Happy Monday to you. Yeah, I don't know what the hell day it is. Uh, when you got time on your hands, man, it's amazing what you retain and what you don't. I am Derek Hunter. I am your host. Appreciate you listening, downloading, sharing, telling a friend, all that good stuff. Thanks to uh, everybody who supports the show at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or Derek Hunter dot locals dot com. And enjoyed the rant for the week in F and review. This It's just one of those things that drove me nuts. And I actually recorded that first part two days early. Because I was feeling it that day. And I was like, I got to get this out of me. I got to. I sat down and like 10 minutes later, I was like, okay, I should stop. I got to stop. But it was good to get out. It was cathartic. Anyway, we've got an action-packed show for you today. At the end of the program, we will tell you who, when, which book, one which book, and which books are up for dibs and grabs this week. So stick around for that or fast forward to it, whatever the case may be. All right. I am. There's new polling numbers out. And I know, I know I I am the first person to say polls don't matter. Polls don't matter. And they don't matter. The election, if the election were held today, everybody would be shocked because they're like, oh, my God, I thought it was next year. I thought it was in November. What the hell's going on? But if the election were held today, that's the only thing that polling data does tell you is this is a snapshot, a very quick snapshot of where the American people are at this moment. And it can change wildly. Remember, we had President Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton Jr. the third back in 2016. There was nothing, no one, no one thought Donald Trump had anything to, to had a chance. Forget the Electoral College. There were states he wasn't going to win. And so the Electoral College never was even discussed. And yet a funny thing happened on the way to the coronation of Hillary Clinton. So take it for what it's worth. I think polling is useful in a couple of ways. If it's close to the election and people are paying attention and also to indicate trends, directions, which way things are going. Is somebody particularly looked at favorably? Are they getting more favorable coverage or are they getting less favorably thought of by the public? That's kind of how I look at polling. That being said, what does it mean in the grand scheme of things? Joe Biden was not particularly popular. In fact, he was wildly unpopular. He was underwater with his approval rating, as he is now. It just wasn't as bad. But he was underwater with his approval rating in the 2022 midterms. And Democrats still did okay. They did a lot better than they should have. A lot of that had to do with really crappy Republican candidates, but he they did do better than they otherwise should have. A lot of it had to do with Democrats campaigning much better than Republicans. Also, I think Lindsey Graham introducing that nationwide abortion ban was an unforced error. 
can't argue for 50 years. This is Roe needs to be overturned. It should be up to the states. It's not a federal issue. It's horribly decided law. And then the second Roe is overturned, you go, yeah, that whole thing about the states, screw it. Let's ban abortion nationwide. Let's put an abortion. Like, Wait a second. You just argued that it wasn't a federal issue. Now suddenly you want to make it a federal issue. Of course, Lindsey Graham wasn't up for election last time, and Lindsey Graham is just kind of a boob anyway, honestly. I would, nah, I'm not going to make that joke. Anyway, now we've got new polling data, which is interesting, which is interesting because of where it has us now, right now. Now is all there is. The Washington Post ABC News poll. This is a question. Is Joe, Joe, there's a question about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Is good enough, Joe Biden, is Joe Biden in good enough physical health to serve effectively as president? Only 33% of respondents said yes. 62% said no, which we're kind of screwed because he is president right now. Right? He's like, can he do the job? No. But he's doing the job. Like, I get it. He sucks. It's like in the middle of a an air flight. Air, air flight. In the middle of a flight. You're like over the Atlantic Ocean going to Europe for whatever reason. And like, you know what? This pilot sucks. He can't do this job. Well, you kind of should have probably brought something. That's, that's the crew. Something going, wait a second. This guy can't fly. Probably should have brought something up about this while you were sitting on the tarmac. Just saying. Now, for Donald Trump, this is good news. 64% of the people say that he is in good enough physical health to serve effectively as president, while 28% said no. Now, that's different. Look, saying somebody can do the job and that you want them to have the job are two entirely different things. I'm not saying that to pour salt on anybody's wound or rain on anybody's parade. But I know how this will be portrayed by the former president's, well, by the former president. Forget his campaign, by him. Oh, look, they're saying I can do it. I'm going to win. No, there was, I don't think there were that many people in 2020 who thought that Joe Biden was physically up to the job. The guy was hiding in his basement. So, yeah, maybe the numbers have have changed a little bit, but I think the the gist of them is where they, they are where they were then so it is not there's more to it and it's really screwed up that this is this way but there's more to it than whether or not you think somebody can do the job it's a matter of do you like them or do you hate the other person if you hate the other person it doesn't matter if you don't think the person the other the other option can't do the job if you hate them you're going to be reluctant at a minimum, to vote for them. So I wouldn't read a whole lot into the fact that people think that Donald Trump has more there there when it comes to mental capacity than Joe Biden. It's a lot like being the tallest midget. Oh, you can't say midget anymore. I know, but it's an analogy and it's a joke and it makes sense all at the same time. So I am. Yeah, okay, you're the tallest, but you're still short. You're the tallest, but you're still short. That's kind of a big deal. It's kind of an important thing. 
that the alternative has to be something that people want because people will say no to a better option if they don't like it. There's a lot of time to turn these things around, but I'm just saying don't spike the football on the five-yard line. Now, when it comes to Joe Biden and Donald Trump, this poll went into a whole bunch of things. This is also interesting. Do you think Trump or Biden is or has, is or are, honest and trustworthy? Joe Biden, 41%. Only 41% of Americans think Joe Biden is honest and trustworthy. Donald Trump, only 33%. See, this is the same poll. This is what I mean by telling you, you, you can mine through it and campaigns will mind. There are people whose job it is to mine through all of these things and find me some tidbits. Find me something to get excited by. It is... That's not how it works. It's not how reality... Well, that's how the game works. That's not how reality works. Reality is you can have somebody you would just despise on a couple of issues. Absolutely 100% hate, despise... But on the one issue you, you care about most of all, they agree with you. Everything else, they go eh, the other way. And they'll vote for you. They'll vote for that person, whatever. You can have somebody you agree with on 99% of the issues, but the one thing that really sticks in your craw, that keeps you up at night, that that changes you the way you look at the world, that decides whether or not you're going to go to the polls at all, they disagree with you and the other person agrees with you, you will go to the polls and you will vote for the person on the one issue rather than the 99 issues because it's whatever, it's most important to you. Frankly, most issues people look at and go, I don't really know, I don't care, whatever. That's, that's why it's ridiculous when you see all this garbage that they're trying to sling at the Supreme Court and then they do poll. You know, the Supreme Court has the lowest approval. I love Congress. The Supreme Court has an incredibly low approval rating. They're still the most uh, approved of branch of government. You guys sit there usually between 9 and 12% approval rating Congress. So that the Supreme Court is somehow in the approved high 30s percent watch. Yeah, that's not good. But it's mostly because of you jackholes sitting there trying to make political hay out of them. And you guys are the least popular entity on the face of the earth, for God's sakes. So spare me these members of Congress saying, well, it's really damaging to have a uh, Supreme Court that is so wildly uh, unpopular. Well, maybe stop being uh, a-holes to them and lying about them and taking things wildly out of context and only reporting, you know, 10% of a story that makes a guy look bad and then ignore the rest. Also ignoring when your side does something. And you begin to see that there may be a problem with these sorts of things, right? You might, you should, but it is insane. And who cares, honestly, whether or not somebody approves of the Supreme Court? The Supreme Court is the last institution on earth you want to be shaped or even factoring in the concept of popularity that's just asinine anyway another bit of good news i'm gonna give you i'll give you the news you you can decide for yourself what to do with this you're adults i believe in you but joe biden's approval rating 
is in the toilet. It is the lowest that it has ever been uh, calculated by this poll, by one point. But still, nothing to sniff at, and anything that makes Joe Biden look bad and makes the people in the White House unhappy is a good day for America. So the question, do you approve or disapprove of the way Joe Biden is handling his job as president? Now, the choices are, do you approve, disapprove, strongly, or somewhat? So they're trying to get gradations here. Approve. The net approval rating is 36% for Joe. 36%. 18% say somewhat. 18% say strongly. Who in the hell are these? The, the strong? I love the way he's doing it. Who are you? I am a spy for Russia and China. I, I hate this. Where I'm a liberal professor. I got tenure. I got nothing to worry about. Disapprove, 56%. Somewhat is only 9% of the disapproval, whereas strongly is 47%. It's almost a majority if you're playing the home game. Almost a majority of the American public surveyed in this one particular poll strongly disapprove of the way Joe Biden is doing his job. That's huge. That's big. You get that? I mean, I don't know. I've never seen a number that big. In fact, the 47% strongly disapproving is by far the highest strongly disapproving number that Joe Biden's ever gotten. Previously in this poll, it was only 44%, and that was back in February. So that's bad. And like I say, it was the largest... Disap- or, or smallest approval rating that Joe Biden ever got, 36%. In February, he had a 37% approval rating. But in February, I'm sorry, in February of 2022, in February of 2023, his approval rating was only 42%. Now, this survey was um, just fresh off the presses, but the a, what is that? God, I don't know why I can't do the math here. A six percentage point drop in net approval rating from one poll to the next. That's a pretty big sweep. You could say, now this is where I would, this is where I get a little bit different from most of the people. I'll play a clip of uh, Snuffleupagus. He actually worked this weekend in a second. But it is interesting to... See what comes next, if that makes sense. They do this poll every three months, right? They don't do a poll every month. So we're not going to know from this particular polling group with this particular method and you think, well, that does. What does that matter, Eric? It matters. It does matter. Uh, but they will check it inside of another three months. And then you probably need another three months after that. But you can look and see, is this an anomaly or is this a trend is it going to flatline because i think 36 percent approval rating is atrocious terrible my god jeffrey dahmer sits at like 42 um (laughs) so where does it go from here there is a bottom but is it where you rest is that where they're going to rest or do you break out a jackhammer or do you start going up Politics is as much about approval rating as it is anything else. But another thing that it's about is timing. If you bottom out in your approval rating and your popularity a year and a half before an election, quite frankly, it does. If you if you got to bottom out, that's when you want to bottom out. 
you bounce back up, you split, whatever it is. If you uh, if you are far enough away from an election, it doesn't really matter how unpopular you are. Now watch what happens. We're going to have a whole bunch of stories about immigration this week. People care about immigration. Immigration is one of those issues that influence people's votes. If the media, it's a big if, if the media can't ignore, I'm trying to think of, again, a, a good way to put this, if they can't ignore what's about to happen on the southern border with the ending of Title 42 and the disaster that's sitting there waiting for them by having these incompetent boobs in church, if they can't ignore that story, if it's such a big problem that they have to cover it, then look for Joe Biden to suddenly become a little bit tougher on the border. Look for him to maybe get proactive. Look, he can't... If the if the feces is hitting the fan with the border, big time, he can't say, well, look, I put Kamala in charge. We're going to fire her or put pressure... No, ultimately, it's his decision, his administration. He's going to have to step up. He won't do a lot. He won't be particularly... Uh, ferocious or inspiring in his leadership statements, but he will make statements that you would think, my God, is this guy a Republican? The action won't come. What they will hope for, again, I'm going out on a limb here, but what they'll hope for is the initial crush of illegals will last, I don't know, a week, maybe, maybe a week, maybe 10 days. But then it will slow back down. They've got a big buildup of people just on the other side of the southern border. Once they can relieve that pressure, then it can get back to these current levels, which are horrible, don't get me wrong. These current levels of illegal aliens marching into the country, wildly horrible, but they are less so than they will be after the ending of Title 42. So they want to get back to the... If they can weather that storm, they won't do anything about it. But Joe Biden will make a couple of statements that you think, wow, this guy's finally seen the light on immigration. It's not true, but he's going to have to try to pretend and start a little bit nudging to the center. I don't think he can win. Re he won an election pandering to the left and hating Trump. All right. Why? Because there was a big constituency out there for hating Trump. Not necessarily pandering to the left, but the left needed to be pandered to because Joe Biden was so unpopular. He needs the radicals and the semi-practicals to vote for him. This time, I don't know. I don't know that they're with him. The radicals are with him because he's actually done the radical things. The rest of everybody else is kind of saying, wait a second, dude, you're crazy. That's what I think you're seeing in these poll numbers. Now, if he pulls back from the radicals, there's a possibility the radicals will say, because we've seen a couple of them saying things like, well, Joe Biden has to do this. Joe Biden has to, he has to in order to win re-election, blah, blah, blah. They're just all admitting that, look, he's going to start lying or he's going to start doing some conservative things because he has to. Uh, but we'll see. The question is, will the radicals stay with him? And will the, the normal people who hated Trump but didn't really love Biden, will they go, oh, all right, fine, we'll do it another four years. We're still far away from knowing that. Listen to, uh, surprisingly, uh, this week, this week was hosted 
by George Stephanopoulos. He actually showed up to work. It's normally Martha Raddatz or or uh, Jonathan Carl or some anybody. A, a potted plant has been out there sometimes because Stephanopoulos uh, doesn't do it. I don't know why. Nobody goes, what we need is a sixth day of Stephanopoulos. What we really need is that big, giant Greek head on television in HD in all its glory for a sixth day. But what the hell do I know? What the hell do we know? He's making millions of dollars and we aren't. Anyway, listen to George Stephanopoulos talk about the polling data that they had. They're a little bit concerned about what's going on with, with Uncle Joe and these numbers. President Biden pushing back on questions about his age from Stephanie Rule as he bids for re-election. It's just one of the big challenges he faces now, more revealed by our brand new poll. Political director Rick Klein here to break it down. And Rick, this poll is just brutal for President Biden. Absolutely, George. And you talked earlier about that record low approval rating for President Biden. It's actually six points down just since February. And the skepticism over his leadership extends deep inside his own party. Only 36 percent of Democrats think that their party should nominate Joe Biden for a second term. Fifty eight percent say they would uh, support someone else or prefer someone else. That's despite the fact that the entire DNC, most of the Democratic establishment has rallied behind President Biden. And you're seeing real weaknesses in the coalition that powered Joe Biden to the presidency back in, in 2020. Biden carried independence by 13 points against Donald Trump. He is now trailing Trump by nine points among those same voters. He carried black voters by 75 points in 2020. Now he is up just 35. That may sound like a lot, but the fact of the matter is, in, in modern politics, that is not the kind of number that a Democrat needs to be victorious. And then, of course, that, that does spill over into the head-to-head matchup, the hypothetical rematch, Trump versus Biden. Right now, a seven-point edge in our poll from uh, in Trump leading Biden. And, and, and in fact, it's an identity number with Ron DeSantis in a head-to-head that might happen next November. That tells us at this very early stage, George, that this race is shaping up a lot more about the incumbent president, Joe Biden, than it is about any of his challengers. That is a big deal. And that is what Republicans need to do to keep it that way. Honestly, Joe Biden is the issue. Joe Biden should be the target. This is what I think so many conservatives are really frustrated looking at the what the Trump campaign has been spending lately. They've spent most of their money attacking Ron DeSantis, a guy who hasn't even entered the race. And what are they saying on social media? Ah, he's not ready. He can't do the job. Well, why are you so afraid of him then? Stop spending money down there and attacking him, or at least as much money attacking him, at least until he enters the race, and maybe use it to define your opponent's incompetence for an audience, for an American public, that is not being informed by the media. Not being informed by the people whose job it is supposedly to inform them. Eh? Just my thought. It's just my two cents, because I watch all this crap, and you just sit there and you go, this is... This is insane. You're advertising on MSNBC. Donald Trump has a town hall on CNN this week with CNN. CNN putting on a town hall just so he can stick a thumb in the eye of Fox. There's no... uh, It's fair weather friend and late to the party if you're sitting there cheering the problems of Fox right now, but you sat there silently or cheered them for years, not speaking of Trump here, I'm just talking to everybody. There's a lot of people going, oh, I'm so glad to see Fox come out. 
I I was the original criticizer of Fox. But my criticism was because I wanted Fox to do better. I still want Fox to do better. I still would like it if one of these cable news networks did actual news. They just don't seem to anymore. And they don't seem to be interested in it. They don't seem to have the tools or the mental capacity or anything. It's amazing how these people freaking get by and where the news that no you're not news you don't do news you don't talk about news you don't smell like news you don't taste like news why don't you just shut the hell up anyway so you can see that the, the gang over at abc is very upset about the poll and that polling data is big deal especially the black vote when you go from winning the black vote by 75 percentage points. And sadly, that's, you know, that's not only a gigantic win for Democrats, it was actually a pretty damn big win for Donald Trump because he did better with the black vote than anybody, than any Republican had in a generation. So like, oh my God, it tells you just how far Republicans have to go. But now it's not that far. Now you've got a 35-point gap, which is still massive, massive. If either party won white people by 35 points, it'd be game over. It'd be over. There'd be no way to make up that difference. If you, you win Hispanics by 35%, it's essentially over. The black vote, it's, it's not just because the, the Hispanic vote is dispersed throughout the country. Uh, whereas the black vote is concentrated, particularly in Democrat-controlled areas. They want turnout. They need turnout. And it, it's a long, complicated thing. But essentially, you uh, Democrats can't win with only a 35 percentage point gap in the black vote. They need somewhere around that 75-80%, sometimes higher. What they've lost in 2020 to to uh, Joe Biden to uh, Donald Trump, they more than made up for with wealthy suburban Chardonnay sipping white ladies. Right, that was who the soccer moms who thought, oh, the, Donald Trump is just sending mean tweets. Yeah, he is. You kind of got to ignore him. Yeah, no, you can't. It was the difference between you take Donald Trump, you take him literally or seriously. You can't do both. And uh, there were a whole bunch of suburban soccer moms that said, I don't want to live like that. And you can kind of understand it to a certain extent, except for the fact that they went with Joe Biden. And you're just sitting there going, this guy's like a sexual assaulter. He's a sniffer of children. Like there is, you show any mom that montage of Joe Biden and kids when he's getting handsy with kids and kissing kids and, and sniffing kids. You show any mom that montage and they will go, what the hell is this? What is he doing? Leave that girl alone. That's what will happen. I promise you, that's what will happen. But I, I don't know. Like I say, this poll is important if the next polls show the same thing. But it's only important if those polls show the same thing and the attempts by the White House to change it don't work 
or are countered successfully by Republicans. Because I promise you, right now, there are people in the White House, Ron Klain sitting there, looking at this data, going through all the current data, and going, what do we have to do? What do we have to do? Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's do the other thing. Let's get ready. We're going to have to kind of tick off some of our base when it comes to immigration this week, but we won't do anything about it. But our rhetoric has to change a little bit. So it seems like we're doing something. They are on the case. And they have got the media with them. Will it succeed? I don't know. I hope not. But I wouldn't put anything past these people because you don't put anything past evil people. You just don't. Speaking of evil people, I want to talk a little bit about Jake Tapper and uh, the most appropriately named man of the United States Senate, Dick Durbin. Actually, it's more than about Dick Durbin, and it's more than about Jake Tapper. It's actually really about Dianne Feinstein. It's actually really about John Fetterman. It's actually really about the double standards of the left. And maybe, just maybe, that Don Lemon guy was right about women having an expiration date when it comes to how Democrats view them. What am I talking about? Well... Diane Feinstein, senator from California, she's been in the Senate for a very long time. I believe she was elected in the year of the woman, which was back in 1992, when Bill Clinton got elected, whatever it was. She's been there for a long time. Before that, she was a mayor of San Francisco, blah, 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 big to all her liberal bona fides, every box checked. Well, she was a reliable vote for leftism throughout her career. She is now up there in age. She's not getting any younger, but then again, who among us is? And uh, she is now outlived her usefulness. She, well, actually, she shares my birthday. She is 89 years old. She's a little bit older than me. 89, she's married three different times. What do you know about that? Tell you something about opportunism. Her first husband was a guy named Jack Berman, 1956 to 1959. Then her second husband was a guy named Bertram Feinstein from 1962 to 1978. That's when she entered, she was in politics in 1978. Uh, Maybe a little bit before. And then she's she was married to Richard C. Blum from 1980 to 2022. Did he pass away? Yes, he passed away. Uh, but she kept the middle husband's name because that's what she entered politics. Opportunism, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, Diane Feinstein sits on the House or the Senate Judiciary Committee. She has, like I said, been a reliable leftist her whole career. Mayor of San Francisco is not like some right-wing mayor of San Francisco. Um, But she has played her role. Every time they needed her to step up as a party, Diane Feinstein has stepped up as a party. She has led on various issues. The CIA, the so-called torture report, remember that, that the... uh, the left desperately wanted out there, even during the was the Bush years that they wanted it out there. And I think during the, the Obama years, they even thought, well, this will be bad for America to have out there. Let's not put it out there. And Dianne Feinstein went and read it into the congressional record because she can, because the speech and debate clause allows for absolute immunity 
for anybody to betray their country on the floor of the United States Senate or the House. She did it. No consequence. Uh, the consequence was she was heralded as a hero by the radical left and reelected easily. Even uh, the last time she was reelected, she was reelected easily because she's even though she was old, she's up next year. She was eighty what four at the time, eighty three. She was still rolling at probably eighty eighty three. She was still reelected easily because she's Diane Feinstein. Well, now she's wildly inconvenient. Not because it's a Darth Vader Ginsburg situation where they think, well, if Ruth Bader had resigned during and retired during the uh, Obama administration, then he could have replaced her, and it would have been we wouldn't have had these evil, evil Republicans. Well, that's true, but she didn't have to. She didn't owe you anything. It's kind of funny watching the people go, the Supreme Court has gotten so political. When they literally tried to badger publicly a Supreme Court justice that they absolutely loved into retiring so that they could be replaced by somebody they agree with politically. They go, the Supreme Court's getting too political. Like, what the? Where have you guys been? What planet are you from? Come on, take the mask off. We all smell the fish. Take the mask off. You're some sort of weird fish person, right? Anyway, Diane Feinstein is suffering from shingles. I'm not going to make fun of somebody suffering from shingles. I've done roofing. I know how unpleasant it can be. No. Um, it's allegedly very painful. I don't wish it on anybody. It's, it's not a good thing. And the older you get, the harder it is, the worse it is. It's not fatal, I don't think, but it's certainly wildly uncomfortable. So... She has been out of the Senate for two months, recovering. Now, there have been senators who have been clinically dead for months on end. People who were just going, there was somebody who had to be rolled in to make a vote in a hospital bed. They have been absent for a very long time, senators have, because if somebody, you know, you have suffer a stroke and you're in it because there's a couple of them that suffered strokes, even in recent times, you need a long time for recovery. And it's always been afforded, these people. But now Dianne Feinstein's health is an issue. Why? Because it's inconvenient for Democrats. Because why? Because the committees, especially the Judiciary Committee, has Democrats with a one-seat majority. Well, with Dianne Feinstein not there, that one-seat majority disappears. It becomes a virtual tie nominees from Joe Biden's administration, not him, he doesn't know what the hell's going on, are languishing in the committee because they cannot get voted out of committee. So rather than, I don't know, hope for Diane Feinstein, pray for Diane Feinstein to recover, whatever, Democrats are calling for her to resign. Now she's 89 years old and she is retiring and she certainly knows spring chicken. But she's not a zombie who needs to be pushed around in a wheelchair and can't answer anything for herself or somebody who, like, say, John Fetterman, who's been on the job for 20 minutes and spent 19 of those minutes in a hospital trying to recuperate from his stroke under the guise of he's suffering from depression when realistically he's just taking advantage of his health care as a United States senator and the fact that he can't lose his job. There's no mechanism to remove a United States Senate. There's no recall. There's nothing. 
So now he could finally do six weeks of the intensive rehab that he should have done immediately upon having a stroke. Doesn't seem to have worked all that much, but it's, a, I suppose, at least a slight improvement. Don't let anybody tell you he's in there because he was sad. Nobody is ever inpatient for six weeks because of depression. That is wildly abnormal. If that were the case, then something else, something needs to be done for this man. Honestly, he was in there to get the physical rehab that he did not get, that he neglected so that he could be elected United States Senator to try and reconnect those synopses that have messed up and broken in the hopes that one day he'll be able to understand a human being when they talk to him again. I don't know if he'll get there, but he was gone. He was gone that whole time and not one single Democrat, not one, called for his resignation. He was in the Senate for two weeks before he disappeared Two weeks. And nobody said, hey, you know, this guy, you're not up to it. You need to put your physical and mental health first. Resign. We'll figure it out. You're going to run again in the future. Whatever. Nope. Not a single thing. Now, to Dick Durbin's credit, Dick Durbin is the majority whip in the House of Representatives, the number two Democrat. He appeared with Jake Tapper the other day, uh, yesterday, well, Sunday. Jake Tapper is very upset with Dianne Feinstein for the same reasons radical leftists are very upset with Dianne Feinstein. There are certain things that the United States Senate can't do, like put lifetime appointment judicial nominees who are wildly incompetent and completely unqualified for the job, but will do whatever the left-wing establishment tells them to do. They won't want to put them on the bench, but they can't. They're having difficulty. Moreover, even if they were able to get some of them out of committee or even other pieces of legislation that they would pass in reconciliation or just ram through because screw the rules because Democrats are those types of people, with Dianne Feinstein out, the Senate goes from 51-49 to to 50-49. It makes it harder that buffer is gone. You need the, it, especially with health problems with other people. When Fetterman was out, they could do nothing. When Fetterman was out, the Democrats could do nothing because it made it 49-49. Kind of funny. But this is what you get when you hit your wagon to a burning out star. So listen to Jake Tapper talking about this. And asking Dick Durbin, is it not time for Dianne Feinstein to go? And you go, what the hell kind of question is that? It's a really crappy question that activists are asking. But Jake Tapper's a journalist, right? Oh, oh no, he's not. All due respect, sir, you and your fellow Democrats were very ginger and very polite when it came to Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and not pushing her to retire uh, when you had a Democratic majority in the Senate. How'd that work out for you? How'd that work out for Roe v. Wade? Well, I, I can tell you that uh, you can uh, play these out and try to guess what the Supreme Court opinions resulting from it will be. Uh, the bottom line is, though, uh, we have in the past 
uh, had members of the Senate, I can think of a handful as I'm sitting here, Democrats and Republicans, who've been ab absent because of medical conditions for lengthy periods of time. I want to treat uh, Dianne Feinstein fairly. I want to be sensitive to her family situation and her personal situation. Uh, and I don't want to say that she's going to be uh, put under more pressure than others have been in the past. But the bottom line is the business of the committee and of the Senate is affected by her absence. A big ups for Dick Durbin. And they're saying, look, yeah, no, it's screwing us. But look, we've had people miss a lot of time. We're not going to do this to her. It's weird because there are a whole bunch of Democrats out there, Ro Khanna being one of them, saying, hey, it's time for Dianne Feinstein to resign. Now, I think he's running for the Senate seat out there in California right now. And I'll tell you, for fun, for fun, I want Dianne Feinstein to resign. What do I mean by for fun? Look, I think Dianne Feinstein should be able to serve as long as the people of California want her. They voted for her. I wouldn't have voted for her, but they voted for her. And the rules are the rules are the rules, and they should apply to her as well as Frankenstein or whatever. But if Dianne Feinstein resigns, if her shingles is too much and she just, whatever, she doesn't feel like she'll ever be able to get back there or can get back there, back to anywhere near what she thinks is necessary to do the job. And, of course, she knows how to do the job. She's been doing the job for a while. If she resigns, Gavin Newsom and the Democratic establishment out there in California will be absolutely screwed into a corner. What are they going to do? They've got the most coveted and watched Senate race in Democrat in the Democrat Party happening in California right now. The race is all about the primary. The race is all about being one of it's a it's a jungle primary where the top two vote getters, regardless of party, face off. It's going to be Democrat versus Democrat. Hot Democrat on Democrat action. But there's a whole bunch of people running, leftist Democrats of all the colors of the rainbow. If Dianne Feinstein resigns, this will give Gavin Newsom the opportunity to appoint. See, if, if, uh, if somebody in the House resigns or dies, the, the seat sits vacant, they have a special election. Now, they do it, they can do it inside of a couple of months. It's a fairly quick process. Not super quick, but it's a, there's a process there. But the, the, the Senate is different. If it's a relic of how the Senate used to be uh, populated used to be wasn't a popular vote people didn't vote for senators they were appointed by the state legislatures or the government the governors it was a much better system the senate was there to represent the state government's interest and the house was there to represent the people but idiot progressives decided to change that 100 years ago to make it a popular election of senators. And now they've been slowly turning the House or the Senate into the House Part 2, which means that it's ruled by emotion and stupidity. And they can there's no more. This, this, the, uh, the Senate was supposed to be the sauce that cools the tea, takes the time to really deliberate about. Now they just want it to be another version of the House of Representatives. Why? Because they can ram their stuff through much easier. But if Dianne Feinstein resigns and that seat empties out, who would Gavin Newsom appoint 
to replace her. Whoever Gavin Newsom appoints to replace her, if it's one of the people running right now, an Adam Schiff or a Katie Porter or whatever, it would be a huge advantage for whoever that person is in the real life. The power of incumbency cannot be overstated. Now, maybe they could get a place filler, somebody who goes, you know what, I'll just ride out this last year of this term. I don't want to be senator, whatever. In that case, you just get, he probably would appoint Jerry Brown, the former governor of California. But I don't know that Jerry Brown wants to do that. But the pressure would be enormous from all of these people to try and put somebody in there to help them become the next senator, the elected senator. Gavin Newsom would be between a rock and a hard place. The Democratic establishment would be consumed with identity politics. Absolutely consumed with identity politics. I'm a gay man. I'm a black woman. I'm a this. I'm a single mom. I'm a the other thing. And right now, the person with the best shot of winning that Senate seat of all of them is funny. He's a white guy in Adam Schiff. Now, it's granted, it's a because it is, you know, a whole bunch of people running for it, you can win the top two slots in the primary with 25, 30% of the vote. Schiff is high profile, idiot, but high profile. He has the advantage. He has the fundraising advantage because he is on television so much. The left has spent so much time propping him up as the anti-Trump and the leader of the January 6th committee, the, even though he wasn't the chairman, and the whatever, the, the impeachment guy, that they have created him. They almost have to back him. But then what happens to the growing in wild popularity in California and importance in the Democratic Party politics, Hispanic vote out there? Would they who have been trained by these white Democrats to, because of purposes of the House of Representatives, would they be cool with a white guy getting this job? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. They've been trained to all these PC people, anybody who votes for Democrats, they've been trained to be hypersensitive. What happens to the black vote? The black candidate doesn't get the job, especially a white guy appointed by a white guy, a straight white guy, a top, like the worst kind of white guy, appointed by another straight white guy. What happens to the Democrats then? There's a lot of infighting. How fun does that Senate race become to watch? And more importantly, how much money that could be used effectively elsewhere. Does that Senate race suck up? Hoover up? Because California ain't cheap to campaign in. California ain't cheap to run commercials in. The people who would end up running in that race, the top two Democrats, one will be Schiff, is wildly popular with the New York uh, coastal elite intelligentsia and whoever the other person is will be too they will be progressive and they won't be as progressive as Schiff because 
well, they will be. They'll be all left-wing lunatics, but they will claim he's not as progressive as I'll be more progressive. And the Bernie bros will get in and the party will fracture and it will suck up so much attention and energy and money that it could, could, not saying it will, could do damage to the Democrats up and down the ticket around the country. We can hope, though, can't we? I hope we can hope. And I hope it works out that way. If they're going to badger Diane Feinstein out, it wouldn't it would be hilarious the final revenge that she screws them over and the whole thing falls apart and they lose the Senate because not because you know California's not going to go for a Republican, but because California would just suck up all the money. All the money. God, that would be glorious. Anyway, you know, there's a couple. What is the other stories? Because I'm sitting here and I'm looking and I'm not really sure that. Uh, oh, you know, I'll do this one real quick because I you you can't believe these people are serious, except that these people are serious, and that's what makes them dangerous. Is you, you're tempted to look at them and go, eh, they're not serious, and then things advance to this point. Again, it's California, so let them do it. Screw it. I can't bring myself to care about left-wing jurisdictions screwing themselves over. I really can't. Headline from, what the hell is this? The San Francisco Gate. California reparations panel okays state apology and payments. Yes. A California reparations task force voted Saturday to approve recommendations on how the state may compensate and apologize to black residents for generations of harm caused by discriminatory policies. The not, you know, it should just be somebody standing up and say, listen, everybody, can I have your attention, please? Uh, Get over yourselves. Quit whining. Go to work. There you go. That'd be it. That'd be my solution. The nine-member committee, which first convened nearly two years ago, gave final approval at a meeting in Oakland to a hefty list of proposals that now go to state lawmakers to consider for reparations legislation. Representative Barbara Lee from Oakland, who is co-sponsoring a bill in Congress to study restitution proposals for African Americans at the meeting called on states and federal government to pass reparations legislation. How about you just go to hell? How about that one, huh? You find me somebody who owned a slave and I will... uh, condemn them, I'll beat the crap out of their body. And then you find me somebody who was a slave and we'll take the stuff the guy owned the slave and give it to him. Short of that, you get on with your life, okay? Because everybody's had crap dumped on them throughout all of human history and you ain't special. The only difference is everybody throughout human history didn't have the Democratic Party going, oh man, you're never going to get ahead now. Remember that thing that didn't happen to you? That didn't happen to your father, didn't happen to your grandfather, didn't happen to your great-grandfather, didn't happen to your great-great-grandfather. Remember that thing? Thing didn't happen to your great-great-great-grandfather. That's why you're screwed. Why? Because something didn't happen. Yep, that's it. Don't don't think too hard about it. Just you know you're screwed. Vote, vote Democrat. We'll take care of you. Now, don't mind all the dead bodies on the streets. We'll take. We're uh, we're that's us taking care of you. It's ridiculous. The panel's first vote approved a detailed account of historical discrimination against black Californians in areas such as voting, housing, education, 
disproportionate policing and incarceration and other. Yes, they're disproportionately policing the black community. Okay, so you don't want anybody to come in and solve any crimes? No? Sick people. Sick, sick people. Other recommendations on the table ranged from a the creation of a new agency to provide services to descendants of enslaved people to calculations on what the state owes them in compensation. The state owes them nothing. California entered the Union in 1850. It was always a free state, never a slave state. But Democrats don't really give a damn. Once you put stupid ideas in the heads of stupid people... Guess what, man? They just overflow. This from the UK Daily Mail. California panel approves reparations proposal of up to $1.2 million each for black residents, but activists demand more than $200 million at heated public meeting. How do you get pissed? You're, you're talking about, they're thinking about giving you $1.2 million for something that didn't happen to you by taking money from people who didn't do it to anybody. And you're saying, no, I want $200 million. Uh, no, you're not with it. And one guy, the audio's bags, his mic wasn't turned on because, like I said, we're dealing with stupid people here. He was whining about 40 acres and a mule. We need the equivalent of 40 acres and a mule. There were a lot of ideas that were floated at the end of slavery about what to do with slaves one of which was give each slave 40 acres and a mule. None of them were acted upon. None of, one of them was, you know, as radical as rounding up every black person and sending them back to Africa. There were lots of things discussed at that time. But people like Frederick Douglass, that great Uncle Tom, that loser, said no. He was one of many voices. Black people just need to be free to make their own way in life. Democratic Party then set about for the next 100 years oppressing black people. Again, they couldn't own them, but they could make sure that their lives sucked as best as possible. Eventually, Democrats decided they would try a new tactic to keep segregation alive, and it's the name of tolerance. And now you have black graduations, black high school dances, uh, all done in the name of tolerance. Now these very same Democrats are staring down the barrel of a gigantic cash settlement to people who had nothing done to them. I'm supposed to care why? I don't. I won't. Let California go straight to hell in a handbasket. Let them go bankrupt. Let them eat crap. Let them choke on it and die. No offense to people out in California. Ruby's out there in California. I love Ruby listening. Kurt Schlichter, the Schlichter family. Love the Schlichter family. My aunt is out there in California. She'd probably vote for this crap, but she's out there. I don't wish her ill, but, you know, there's a certain point where you just got to say, I can't bring myself to care anymore, and we are long past that. I can't bring myself to care anymore. Write big fat checks to a whole bunch of people that have been run through the education system, run by Democrats that live in neighborhoods of economic depression and watch what happens. What do you think is going to happen? What would you think would happen? Is it be worse? But Democrats would have to care about people for that. If Democrats cared about people, hell, the Democratic Party would have never existed, right? 
Look at their history. How gross they are. And they continue. So, yeah, I'm out. I'm not interested. California, do it to it. I'll find a black relative and I'll claim my piece of the pie. Because why not? You're going to do stupid. You're going to make me participate in stupid. I'm at least going to get a big chunk of money out of it. Anyway, that is enough for today. I owe you a winner. The winner is, uh, hopefully I don't butcher this name, Liana, Lena, Liana, I don't know, Van Doren. Maybe related to Mamie Van Doren. Who knows? But yeah, Liana, Liana, you got a message from me, Van Doren. Uh, you chose the Sandra Day O'Connor book. It is yours now. Congratulations. And that means Luke Rosiak. It's wildly popular, by the way. Uh, ladies, no, not with the late, not with just ladies. People are like, "Give me Luke, give me Luke, give me Luke." Well, you get another chance to get Luke. And since I forgot to go downstairs, I'm taking one of the books off my shelf that uh, I had that was autographed because I can take a picture of it pretty easily. It is by Arthur Brooks. Arthur Brooks is a fascinating guy. He used to run the. Uh, American Enterprise Institute. Now I think he's teaching a class up in Harvard. Very brilliant guy. Very eclectic guy. Played like a French horn for a long time in an, uh, in an orchestra in Europe. Anyway, his book, Love Your Enemies, How Decent People Can Save America from the Culture of Contempt, signed by Arthur C. Brooks himself. He is a New York Times bestselling author of The Conservative Heart as well. So it's Luke Rosiak versus Arthur Brooks. And that's that. Ladies and gentlemen, we have the town hall to look forward to this week. Should be an interesting news week. Anyway, even if it's not, we'll be here. I appreciate you listening. Thanks for the use of your ears. It's Monday. I think I'm going to take the kids to see Guardians of the Galaxy today. They want to go see it. We watched Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 over the weekend. And uh, they didn't pay very close attention. So it's going to be, but they want to, they want to go to the movies. So I'll take them to a matinee. And we'll see how that goes. I want to see the movie anyway. So there you go. Thanks for listening. I'll tell you if I go, if the movie was any good. Have a great one. <laughs>